please turn with me in your Bibles. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It's found on page 973 of the Black Pew Bible there in front of you. Picking up where we left off, Galatians chapter 2. Verse 15, the Apostle Paul explaining to the Galatians what he was saying to Peter when he confronted him to his face in Antioch. Paul explains, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This morning we finally come to The apex, the high point to which Paul's argument to the Christians in Galatia, that's South Central Asia Minor, the point of his argument, the high point he's been coming to. I imagine Paul perhaps dictating this letter to someone who's writing it down for him, and as he gets to this point, he is pounding the table with his fists and jumping up and down, repeating and pounding the point home. Remember, this is Paul's most passionate letter, and this is arguably the most passionate point in all of his letters. He's pounding home the best news there is. The very core of the gospel message. Here is the news that transforms the world, that turns it upside down, that saves sinners and that sanctifies saints. It's what we sing about every time, almost every time we get together. But I wonder, does it hit you? Do you read it, these verses, just 2, 15 and 16, and do you feel the weight? Does it immediately come over you? No doubt some of you it does. You know exactly what this means, the preciousness and the power of this truth in particular. It's not lost on you in the slightest. Your your heart is ready to burst. Your, your eyes are welling up. You, you know the truth in your bones, and you're ready to sing about it yet again. But I assume that for plenty of us here this morning, Paul's point goes past us or through us like hot air. Some of us presumably don't know what he's on about, don't know exactly what he's speaking of. Presumably, Plenty of us also know what he's speaking of, justification by faith alone, that doctrine we've heard repeated again and again throughout all our lives. There's nothing new here or interesting. It's perhaps rather old hat to us, but may it never be. The point of our sermon this morning is to help us hopefully afresh feel the preciousness and power of this truth through three considerations, whether you've known it all your life or are hearing it for the first time, to understand and to feel what Paul is saying here, you first need to know the nature of the problem, 
The problem of all problems, you know the nature of the problem. Secondly, you need to know the nature of the solutions, all the solutions the world has to offer. And thirdly, you need to know the nature of the gospel, this thing that he's been explaining and unfolding and bringing us to here. And I I hope that if we understand the nature of the problem, the nature of the solutions, and the nature of the gospel, this truth afresh will burn in our bellies and cause us to sing. So let's first look at the nature of the problem. What is the problem? The problem in view in this text, of course, is the problem, the biggest problem in the world, the most acute, most devastating, most difficult, most universal. I wonder if we were to go out into the streets of Savannah and interrupt some nice people having brunch, having their mimosas on our streets, and we were to ask them, what is the biggest problem in the world? What they might say. No doubt some would say climate change. No doubt others would point to the Russo-Chinese alliance and aggression. Others, no doubt, would say political corruption or inflation or the drug epidemic or cancer or racism, sexism, or the, the hegemony of white cis male privilege. Others might say fatherlessness. Are you, are you fill in the blank? We have many contenders, perhaps, for the, the problem, the greatest problem in the world. And yet, to presume to call it the greatest problem in the world would seem to say that if we fixed that problem, that uh, things would be well, that things would be right. If we could find someone who was untouched by all these problems we might put forward, political, social, psychological, uh, that they might be happy and healthy. This is why preachers like myself seek to show the misery of well-known celebrities who no doubt acutely suffer from uh, problems, but perhaps not these large political problems directly, and yet who no doubt acutely suffer. Those who are the healthiest and the wealthiest and the famousest and the safest, those who by all accounts seem to have it all, are by all accounts still miserable. I've probably overused my Tom Brady or Moby or other interviews. This time I have for you Dax Shepard, perhaps a less well-known celebrity. He's an actor, comedian, podcaster, filmmaker, perhaps most famous for his role in the NBC hit show Parenthood, perhaps better known for being married to Kristen Bell, who is the voice of Anna in Disney's movie Frozen. Anyways, Shepard said something fascinating in his interview on the -the off-the-camera show with Sam Jones. Shepard says, they are paying me a ton of money, People recognize me at the airport. I am doing everything I had dreamt of doing for 30 years. It all came true. And I am the least happy I have ever been in my life. I am the closest I have been to not wanting to be alive that I have ever been. I have every single thing on paper I have ever wanted. That was a very weird... I feel grateful for this because I was able to say, oh, there is something much more profound is broken. Because up to then, I could tell myself, if I had the money, I wouldn't need to do this. Or if I was doing the thing I wanted to do, that would solve everything. Shepard says, I think a lot of us proceed through life thinking we would be happy if, we would have self-esteem if, we would know contentment if. Shepard says, those are illusions most people don't know are illusions. And I got to find out, those are illusions. 
And perhaps you've known this all your life and there's nothing new to you. After all, our, our greatest of poets sing of it. You can't buy me love. You can't buy me love. Oh, you could buy me a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. I'll get you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel all right, because I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. So we, we know this as a civilization, perhaps generally, that at the source of all the societal problems are more than sociological. We have attempted all the uh, solutions of social engineering and have only made things worse in many ways. Or we know that the problems are actually deeper than psychological. After all the research and all the medications and all the mental health awareness, we have worse mental health than ever before. Why? Because it's a spiritual problem. Because the Bible's true. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. This is what the first three pages of the good book tell us. Page one, that we're not cosmic accidents. We're not just lucky chemicals that happen to slap together, making something more complex than was there already, denying the laws of thermodynamics. No, we are the intentional and meaningful design of a personal God. The second page, or the second chapter of Genesis, explains that we are in fact made specially by God and for God, His own handiwork, meant to know Him, reflect Him, be the image of Him to all the world, love Him and know His love, and communicate it to one another. And we don't get past the third page, chapter 3 of Genesis, before we learn how all that is lost. We learn of the problem. Man has rebelled against God's way, and the intention of the Creator, the rightful shalom of the universe is lost. We're broken. The relationship between God that we're meant to have is broken. The relationship uh, within our own selves is broken. The relationship with one another is broken. The relationship with all creation is broken in our rebellion in the fall. So the problems of this world are massive because the problems of the world flow out of the great problem of sin and separation from God. That is the problem, the problem the world seeks to deny at every point, but can't evade. So I hope we see the nature of the problem, but secondly, briefly, the nature of the solutions. We might posit that most of the religions of the world, in one way or another, see that there is this breakdown between man and the deity, and there is a need of redemption, of making things right with God, whoever that may be in one way or another. Whether it's the ancient pagan sacrificial rites or the Hindu or Jewish or Islamic religions, they all give us a way of redeeming oneself, setting things right with the deity. Make the pilgrimage, pay the alms, make the sacrifice, attend the house of worship, do good, and we'll be right with God. And we all seem to intrinsically, it's almost as if it's in our DNA to understand this. We need to try and make things right with the ones we've offended, even if it is our own conscience. Perhaps you can see the two-year-old sitting at the table, knocks off her mother's glass of milk from the table, and the mother looking with indignation upon the two-year-old. The two-year-old takes her own sippy cup and slides it over to the mother to propitiate or appease the wrath of the mother, to make atonement, to make a way of redemption between what has been uh, broken in the moment. 
No, we, we know that we need to do something. Something needs to be paid. Something needs to be offered. Something needs to be done. Or we see it in sports writ large. I have watched recently the, the documentary on the Redeem team, the U.S. men's Olympic basketball team from 2008. 2004, the U.S. men's team went to Athens. It was embarrassed in front of the whole world. But the Redeem team, led by Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, they redeem uh, USA basketball in front of the eyes of America and the world, uh, asserting the way things ought to be, or establishing what had been broken or lost, the prestige of American basketball. We know that there's a need of redemption. Uh, last year, the Philadelphia Phillies signed Nick Castellanos, who was a great Cincinnati Red, and he had a terrible season. He's batted near 300 his whole career, hit almost 20, runs every, 20 home runs every year. But last year, his first year with the Phillies, nowhere near those numbers. Very disappointing. But this year, he's, he's back on his pace. He's hitting 300. He has 10 home runs. He's on pace. He's having a redemptive season. He's redeeming himself from the embarrassment of what had come before. This is part of our language. We know it to be true. Why does Rocky Balboa have to go the distance in his fight with Apollo Creed? So that he knows he's not a bum. So that he might justify his own existence, soothe his own conscience, redeem himself even within himself. He, he knows there's a need of redemption in him. And indeed, we all know that to be true in our heart of hearts. But you see, there are problems created by the solutions that the world offers. Problems both internal and social. Internally, if you are able to, to work yourself up into a place of redemption, you're only ever as confident as your ability to perform. When you're doing the thing, when you're being moral, religious, good, when you're being a good Presbyterian, you feel good and you feel like you have your life together. You're, you're saying no to the donuts and you're keeping to your diet and you feel okay. But as soon as that happens, you... Uh, something else follows the confidence almost immediately. It's a sense of pride in what you've accomplished. Or perhaps you are struggling to do good, to be a religious, to be a good Presbyterian, reading your Bible each day and saying your family prayers and leading in worship and being here morning and evening. Uh, and your, your stance before God fluctuates by how good you're performing, how well you're maintaining your, your goodness, your, your right standing before God. So that you're either falling into a sense of confidence or pride or a sense of humility or really shame and guilt. And then you start to fluctuate one to the other. There's an internal problem when performance, when law-keeping becomes the way of maintaining redemption. So there's an internal problem with the solutions offered, but there's also a social problem. The world is immediately broken into two, two groups. Those who can do the thing and those who can't. Those with the willpower and those without it. Insiders and outsiders based upon performance. The world easily divides between nations who keep it, peoples who keep it, families who will get the law together and are good families and those who are not. Jews and Gentiles divides the world. And of course this social division that inevitably happens is a manifestation of the internal problem. The social problem of vision is a manifestation of the internal problem of pride. See, the solutions offered to the problem have their own problems that set us all over again. 
For the religious, natural man seeking redemption, justification in the natural way, all of life becomes a rigmarole of virtue signaling, righteousness amassing, internal peace seeking, coolness maintaining, law keeping. The religion of works righteousness, you see, can't touch the problem, the problem of pride and sin in the heart. As soon as uh, a place of redemption or a uh, right standing before God seems to be accomplished, pride rushes in and puts the flame out. It's like trying to light a candle under water. It's trying to touch the heart by works righteousness. So the false gospel of redemption by works, the do-it-yourselfism, uh, take responsibility for your own life and make it happenism, it's a powerful draw especially in a therapeutic world as our own, that, that uh, there's a, a narrative that seeks to make us all victims of our own situation. No, there's a, there's a whole uh, relative industry of conservative podcasts and fitness guru, gurus from Jordan Peterson or Jocko Willink. You can find the one who's going to encourage you to take responsibility and be your man. Earn your redemption. But once you see the nature of the problem, and the nature of the solutions, and there's problems, perhaps you come to this place that Paul is speaking of, where he offers a solution to the solutions, a gospel of all gospels, a gospel that is not man-made, of which there is no internal industry to keep it up, but a gospel that comes from God. This is what Paul is on about. It's our third point. We've seen the nature of the problem, the nature of the solutions, and most importantly, the nature of the gospel so what Paul has Paul animated in this letter is that both he and the Galatians know the nature of the problem, they know the nature of the problems of the solutions, and they knew the nature of the gospel, but had deserted it. This is where Paul starts back in chapter eight, sorry, chapter one, verse eight. No, sorry, one verse six. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And by verse eight, he begins an argument. He begins building a, a, a word against them, seeking to help them to see what's happened, asserting by the end of chapter 1 that the gospel he preaches is of divine origin, has divine content, and has divine power, even as proved in his own, his own life. He continues to build his argument in chapter 2, as we saw a few weeks ago. He tells the story of coming to Jerusalem. Uh, which is the Vatican, uh, is the headquarters of the Christian movement at the time. And he brings Barnabas, who's an insider, and Titus, who's a Gentile convert, uncircumcised. And he, he tells the big three, Peter, James, and John. He makes the case. He, he, he shares the gospel he's been sharing with the Gentiles. That it doesn't matter the works of the ceremonial law. You don't have to be circumcised. It's by grace through faith alone that you're included in, among the people of God, that you are made right with God. And the apostles in Jerusalem confirm and affirm that gospel, that justification by faith alone. But then, Peter, Paul tells the story of Peter and the time he came to Antioch and was having dinner with the Gentiles, the unclean people, eating presumably unclean food. And as he's eating the bacon and the sausage, he sees the Judaizers from Jerusalem. The delegation come in, and all of a sudden, Peter loses his nerve, and he pushes the plate away, and he gets up, and he does a ceremony. He gets real Jewish all of a sudden and stops associating with his brothers in Christ, the Gentile Christians. And this is where, verse 11, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. He was being hypocritical and inconsistent. And what he says in opposing him starts right there in verse 
14. Look down at your Bibles. What he says uh, is in some ways rather unclear where it begins or ends. The ESV has it ending. Uh, what he says to Peter at verse 14, that's what the quotation marks are. I think uh, it's rather unclear, but I think it extends naturally to the end of verse 16 or perhaps even further. But in verse 14, he's speaking to Peter, who seemed to be saying that faith alone wasn't enough to be included among the family of God, the church. And Paul said, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, remember he had just been having dinner with the Gentiles, Jews don't do that, he'd been eating the unclean foods, Jews don't do that, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Implication clearly. That would be hypocritical and inconsistent, Peter. That would be against what we believe about faith alone. He continues in verse 15, I think. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's building a bridge to Peter. He's saying, yeah, we had all the benefits of growing up in the church, in the synagogue. We know the Bible. We know the truth. He continues in verse 16, stating it in an abstract, general way. He says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first one. He says it as, as a theological principle. This is the argument Paul makes perhaps most forcefully in Romans chapter 4. He says, you know, Father Abraham, the very father of all the Jews, was he chosen by God, made right with God because he was circumcised and kept the whole Torah, the whole law? Well, no. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God. He had faith in the promise, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's telling Peter, theologically, principally, we know Abraham was justified by works, it was not justified by works of the law, but by faith. And then Paul states it again, this time not in so much abstract theological principle terms, but in personal terms. He says, so we, you and I, Peter, also believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Peter, you and me, if anyone shouldn't be allowed to be counted right before God based on works, it's you and me. You, you abandoned Christ at the very moment he needed you. You denied him. Me, I was a veritable Christian terrorist. It has to be by faith, Peter. It can't be based upon our works. We know it's the best news. We know that it's by faith alone, not by works, that we are right before God. So that Peter said it as an abstract theological principle. He made his uh, appeal, he's repeated it in personal terms, and he's going to make it again in, in universal terms. Verse 16c, he says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Martin Luther explains why does Paul repeat Repeat, repeat. Luther says, because we need it to be beaten to our heads continually. It needs to be repeated so often because this is the doctrine that seems to be always under attack. Whether it's in the ancient church attacked by Pelagianism or the medieval church and attacked by Roman Catholic sacerdotalism or whether it's the modern church attacked by federal vision or new perspective on Paul, this doctrine, this precious doctrine, driven home and made clear and repeated so that no one can have a question about it. Paul presses it in. Dr. Keller says that the truth of the gospel, this doctrine is slippery. 
Once we think we have it, we squeeze it too hard and our back naturally over into works righteousness, or as we'll see next time, into a kind of antinomianism, lawlessness. We're naturally drawn back to trying to justify ourselves perhaps to ourselves or to our parents or even to God's. We might have his favors that he might work for us. Ignoring the fact that we have peace with God, not by works, but by faith. See, it's this doctrine, this doctrine alone, that can begin to heal the problem of the human heart. The internal insecurities can begin to be dealt with. A a confidence that begins to grow is not snuffed out by the pride that follows. There's nothing to be proud about. It's not by works. You have merited nothing. Your works have not contributed meritoriously to your stance. There's no pride to snuff out the confidence that grows there. And neither is there confidence lost when we stumble and fall. There's there's a ballast in this ship. Our life is no longer swinging between pride and shame, but holds confidence and yet humility and tension. Not only is there internal problems beginning to be dealt with, but also the social problems. The social divisions can heal as well. You are no better than anyone else to be standing in the church. Nothing you did separates you. There's no pharisaical place to be when you are justified by faith alone, not by works. There's no nose looking down upon you judgment within the family of God. You see, we're able to recognize what Martin Luther recognized This doctrine of justification by faith alone implies the mystery of simul justus et peccator, simultaneously just or made righteous, justified, and peccator, and sinful. The world isn't so easily divided into righteous and infidel. No, both are within us until the moment we're purified and made righteous before God and finally in heaven, we have a place of confidence before God. We have peace with him and yet also humility as we struggle along in the walk of faith. See, this is the truth that can only come from God. All the solutions of man, all of man's gospels fall short of this solution of all solutions. The best news there is. The thing that if the church doesn't have, the church no longer is. We have peace with God by grace through faith, and this is not of your own doing, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Take away this gospel, and Christianity becomes like the rest of the religions of the world. Graceless, peaceless, treadmill religion. But keep this doctrine central. The doctrine in which the church stands or falls. Justification by faith alone. And if it hits like it should, if you understand the pricelessness, the preciousness, and the power of this gospel, you can't help but sing. Not what these hands have done can save this guilty soul. Not what this toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. 
Thy grace alone, O God, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. I bless the Christ of God. I rest on love divine. And with unfaltering lip and heart, I call the Savior mine. Our Father in heaven, I pray that if any here doesn't call your Son their own, does not have a faith, that does not lean upon works of the law, that, oh Lord, they would cling to you. They would rejoice in the grace of the gospel and the blessed doctrine of justification by faith alone. And yet, O oh Lord, we know that faith that saves is faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Help us to work out our salvation at the same time with fear and trembling, honoring you, loving you by obedience to your law, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.